Welcome to the I Went Down to the River podcast. I'm Dan Walton, class of 96, and I'm one of the many who have been fortunate enough to be a part of the Hawken football program and wear the wings. Enjoy these stories of victory, of growth, of loss, and of brotherhood as I sit down with past players. Now let's take this trip down to the river. It has been over 30 years since today's guest dominated the trenches as a two-way tackle for the Hawks. He was an integral part of the deep playoff runs in both the 1986 and 1987 seasons. He is jersey number 75 in the program. Please welcome Mel Jones on this trip down to the river. Mel, it is good to see you. I am looking forward to this conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing great, 3D. Thank you for letting me take this trip down the river. Um, it's kind of a long time coming, and I, it's so much amazing just to see you as you are right now. Like I said, I remember you as that little kid on the side with your brothers, <laughs> man, with those oversized jerseys. It was great. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate all the love, and I'm ready to make this trip, man. I'm ready. These are all a blast to record and to connect with people. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Mel. And there's so many things that uh, we're going to be able to touch on as far as you, the player, um, and you, the writer, which we will get about to later. So uh, let's go ahead and let's uh, dive in first with that first Hawking football memory. My first Hawking football memory was odd. I mean, because... I never really got a chance to visit the school. I didn't know about the tradition and truth. I didn't know about And, and the crazy part about knowing about Hawking period, if this is going to sound strange, but I had been to Hawking, but didn't know about Hawking. Here's what, here's how that happened. Um, my father had a best friend by the name of Jerry Mitchell. They were both, um, they were both principals in in the Cleveland Public School District, and there were certain Sundays my father would go with Jerry Mitchell, and he'd take me and his son Dana to this one gym way off the way, and we had no idea where it was. And we, and while my father, Jerry Mitchell, and some other gentlemen were playing basketball, me and Dana would be playing basketball, 33 on the side, on a side court, something like that come to find out it was the Hawking gym. I had no idea what it was. We just thought it was a regular gym and we would play basketball, uh, play 33. And then we went to this one room that had a, a wrestling mat on it. I had no idea what your dad's wrestling mat. And we play a little bit in there and then we leave it and go home. And you have to remember when we were going there, it was late, dark, and you couldn't see a thing. You couldn't see the campus or anything. So my first true impression of Hawking was when I found out from Mr. Brandt of me taking some summer courses of just the school itself, because I hadn't had any prior knowledge of it. And growing up in Warrensville, you didn't know about Hawking. Hawking was oblivious. I didn't hear about Hawking until pretty much middle of my ninth grade year. So this is new to me. So it was odd. <laughs> so... So transitioning from that Warrensville school system to Hawken, describe what that was like for you. Um, as you were saying, you didn't have a great sort of background or wealth of knowledge as far as maybe 
the school you were transitioning to. So what was that like for you day one, week one, year one? Total culture shock. I mean, you're going to from a area in east side of Cleveland where you're not the minority. I mean, you are the majority. And you're going to a place not only culture shock, but you're going from a different environment. I mean, you're going from urban area, even though it's considered a suburb, to a place where, I mean, just the smell was different. The grass was different. I mean, it seemed like a a total utopia compared to what I was used to, even though I do do love Warrensville and what it showed me. And it made it strange to be able to see a Rolling Hill, a White House. I mean, I'm used to seeing just urban area, concrete, grass here and there. And it was, it was total culture shock. You're seeing cars that you see on television and you're seeing them in a parking lot and it was crazy to me it was crazy to anybody who was growing up where i grew up from especially like owen came with me at the same time oj this was and realistically he went through a big transition because this was going to be his realistically his third school system was third transfer in three years so you knew it was a bit of a shock for him so shock for all of us so Mel, with you and Will and Marcus and Owen and OJ coming in, um, definitely a positive or a comfort for you transitioning to a new school with people that you know that you're coming with from your school district? Well, um, it was organic because I didn't know Owen was going to Hawking. I didn't know that OJ, but I, I was friends with them. I hadn't met Will and Marcus until, like I said, that summer school that Mr. Brandt picked us up um, in Shaker Square, taking us on that van yeah. <laughs> and taking us to to Hawkins to take some summer courses. But Owen and OJ and I had been there for Warrensville for a few years and we had knew about winning, but it was kind of surprising how we knew about winning because our eighth grade team, even though OJ didn't play, our eighth grade team, we played and we were eight and one. And then our ninth grade team, um, we went undefeated and won our conference title. And it's kind of amazing to me because it's hard to believe that OJ, as talented as he is, and what he showed in that one year, he was considered the third best option on that team, which still boggles my mind. I'm like, how are you going to barely give him the ball, but, and he showed his worth immediately, but, but it, it was, it was surprising just to see just a total paradigm shift. And when I finally got into practice, you could see the culture, total culture, different culture. You saw attention to detail. You saw a structure that I wasn't used to, but you thought about it and you said, this is something that you probably need because me playing football, I was raw. I was raw from the beginning because growing up in Warrensville, I played street football here and there. I never played organized because my size, I, I either I was over the weight limit where you were playing um, police athletically and I was playing basketball. My thought was I wanted to be a basketball player. I mean, I grew up watching Dr. J. I watched all these other players in the Magic Bird area. I didn't really get into football, like I said, to eight grade year. And, and I would just be bigger and overpower guys. And I thought 
that was it. I, I learned very quickly that it's not just overpowering. You have to learn, learn some things and technique. So that was my first culture shot, my shot with football. So Mel, can you talk about what that transition to Hawken would have been like if you did not get connected with the football program? It would have been more of a struggle than what I dealt with as is because um, that structure helped me learn even though my size, because first of all, I'll say the those seniors, those six seniors, they helped me learn a winning tradition and a way to think about how to handle a daily, daily basis of going to school, getting practice, putting in the time for to do this and, and just have that discipline, mental discipline, a physical discipline to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to help the team, not as an individual, but this is a team concept. I mean, you really didn't know that at Warrensville because you said had so many individuals that just were talented. There was, I mean, we were just so talented at Warrensville in the conference we were in, we just throw the ball out and we win. No, it wasn't like that at, at Hawking. I mean, like, okay, so he's almost bigger than, except for myself and um, and Andy Pay. He was about as big as his lineman. And that was, that's amazing considering I, I'm going against guys at Warrensville. I see six, seven guys my size and I'm trying to out-muscle them. And, and it's a totally different thing. We talk on this pod about uh, shared experiences and brotherhood, two terms that uh, we find a very good connection uh, and a close connection at that. And I want to read a quote um, from an anonymous. It's, quote, nevertheless, the sharing of an experience is not only about amplification. Many of our most valuable moments are special precisely because they are shared experiences. Sharing allows the experience to be re relived more vividly through mutual recollection and the telling of anecdotes. By sharing our experiences, there is someone other than ourselves who is aware of the sum total of our journey, unquote. Talk about that shared experience of being a part of the Hawken football program and the brotherhood of being on a team in context to that quote. Shared experiences. How many shared experiences are there at, at Hawking? I mean, from subtle things as um, even though they wouldn't let me be a part of the hamburger eating contest. When I was a sophomore, they told me I couldn't be a part of it because I ate too much. I thought I, I wanted to be a part of that. Um, the shared experiences, I mean, just, and I know you're going to go through the traditions that we, the individual traditions of claiming the field, I mean, the fudge, I mean, and then, like I said, those seniors, I mean, Artie Haynes, he, he embraced me as soon as I got there. And even though I didn't know Aaron when I first got there, I knew his dad. I mean, he 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 made sure that we followed that tradition well. And he really was a good mentor to the sophomores, even though I'll say for myself and the rest of the crew, we were ready to, we wanted to get, we didn't want to wait our time. We wanted to go and be that one right then and there. But he showed us you could do that and still be 
have that structure where you still a sophomore, you still got to do the sophomore things, but you could still contribute to this team and the tradition and the winning. And he made that tradition well. Kevin Slash was a role model because he he was one of the first ones I met. It was him, uh, Ted Bryan, and Mike Noonan when I went to uh, summer school. I happened to go over to the gym and they were those three were about to play some basketball. I came over and I and I started playing with them. And then you saw the look on their faces when I'm up here trying to grab rebounds and stuff like that. A guy my size moving around as I was. But he Kevin Slush made my transition well. Noonan did. Um Hackenberg did. I mean Hack, <laughs> we'll talk about Hack later, but uh yeah, and Rob Peskin. And um, trying to think to who else, um, Lee Kaplan, those six guys, they they made sure that that tradition that your father started, those those certain things were always adhered to. And it allowed you to embrace those experiences that became something I cherish a lot. At the age of 15, is there something maybe as difficult or frustrating as being told to kind of like you're waiting your turn and it's, you know, you're there's that sort of ladder system or feeling like there's a ladder system that you're trying to work your way up instead of just like plug and play. I'm ready. Coach, I'm ready. I'm ready. Guys, I'm ready. It is. I mean, especially because where we grew up, I mean, you had people cause it was like a doggy dog type of thing. And you thought you, you learned aggressive nature. You learned a bravado. You learned a swagger, and you thought to yourself, "I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready to do this. I, hey, I don't need to do this. I don't need to. Do, I'm ready to go." And when you get that reality check that you do, it was it was eye opening. It was eye opening for all of us, even though we were ready for that challenge. It's just that there's a difference between being ready in your mind and being totally mentally, physically, and structurally prepared. We weren't there yet. And like I said, because of just the raw going from like being a junior high football player to a high school football player and knowing, knowing the um, schemes, knowing the technique, knowing this, it's one of those things where you're going to have to learn these things so you can get to that next level. So you can do more to just be there and be a positive contributor or even be an impact player. It was it was something that needed to be done. You know, we talk about brotherhood, and just because you're on a team with other members doesn't create a brotherhood, but there's a system of respect and trust and earned. Everything is earned, right? I don't just Never. join a team with you, and you and I have a brotherhood all of a sudden. We it's have to, always earned. Yeah, we, have to, we have to go through those things together. We have to put yeah. work in. I have to know that you have my best interest in mind and likewise right back at you. And only then do we now create that cohesion that we are ready, we are lockstep, we are moving in the same direction. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Talk about talk about what those summer um, mini camps and two-a-days and things like that, what those can do to help foster that in a way that just you know, spending time otherwise might not do it as quickly. Well, I, I'll be truthful with you. I hated those 800 runs. I could not stand them. But, uh, hey, the guys pushed me because they pretty much, as I said, 
I'm not going to do anything that you're not doing. And you saw the guys putting in the work. You saw us putting the sweat. I mean, we had conversations. We, I mean, we shared the experience of the Hawker tradition and we hadn't gotten our wings yet and talking about wearing those wings, what it meant. Uh, once I got established into the school, you start seeing people talk about Eric Hamilton and the season before, how they went nine and one and how they were ready to make the playoffs after not making the playoffs um, the past year and just missing. So we, and how that we were getting, and then you heard about the rivals. You heard about the rivals. You, you talk about those rivals. And because I went to school uh, with OJ and I pretty much knew that when OJ came out, well, I'll say, I thought OJ was coming out way beforehand because I, I, I'll admit when I was there before OJ, I was hyping OJ up. I said, yeah, if you don't want to do this, if you wait till my boy comes out, he's going to do this and that. And, the what, what. and people are like, yeah, whatever. He, okay. <laughs> and it was funny. I was like, yeah, I was like, watch, he's going to show you this. He's going to show you that. And, and then he came out and then you start seeing he had the talent and the work ethic and cause he didn't slow down for anybody. And, he had that certain it that just made people gravitate to him as well as all of us showed that certain it, but his was more of a, his aura is like what people kind of say about when they meet Jordan, you feel it when you, you're around it. And when you have that, you have that cohesiveness, you have that people starting to understand and being able to have a, a conversation. And it doesn't seem like, that you're badgering them and putting them down. You're trying to help them and you start to understand it and it starts to become more familiar. That's when you start being able to relate to each other and spend time with each other. And that's how that brotherhood becomes something that you cherish for decades. Yeah, well put. So other than the 800, when we're talking, <laughs> when we're talking about preseason, we're talking about preseason. Is there anything that you look back with any, any little bit of fondness where you're like, okay, I like preseason there. You know what? Preseason when he, when your dad had us doing rugby, that was cool. Cause that was something that I hadn't been accustomed to doing. And it was, it was something refreshing and it got you off the monotony of doing those same old drills, something to that effect. Um, and even when we were going through drills that uh, just basic football drills, I, I, I reflect on Coach Harry Waller with so much fondness because he showed me, like I said, in, in junior high school, I'm just like, I'm bigger than the guys. I can bull rush you and I throw you to the side to make a tackle. And that was it. He showed me that there's certain techniques you can use to enhance what you are because eventually you're going to come up somebody your size and, and you can't sumo wrestle a guy to death to the point where you, it's going to be effective. So he showed me things that helped me in the long run. I'm glad you brought up Harry Waller. That's the first time his name has been brought up on uh, any of the pod episodes. So uh, Harry Waller and Merle Davis were the two line coaches during the eighties uh, when you would have been there. Correct. Right. Uh, coach, coach, Davis' offensive line here, Coach Waller showed me defensive techniques that 
even when I went into college and tried to go to the next level when I played semi-pro and then when I before I stopped playing defense, I used some of those techniques that he showed me. And Merle Davis as a math teacher, I think is the perfect combination of offensive line math teacher because everything is so specific with the yes. technique. There is no room for I'm going to freelance every, the technique is so sound and so tight with him. And he would make sure that all of the linemen would have their playbooks filled out with all of the offensive plays. Oh my god! And he would have Uh. little, he'd have little tests where you'd turn in your playbook and make sure that you, because when, for the listener, when we were in the field house during uh, install days, a play would get installed. And on the page, there would be about anywhere from four to eight, four to six, four to eight defensive fronts. And we would only have time to maybe put them in up on the board against one or two fronts. And so your homework was to, after practice, go back, take a pencil and fill it out the rest of the way. And Coach Davis would have his linemen turn those playbooks in because he wanted to make sure you did it. And he graded us on those things too. And that was one of the things that from transitioning from Warzo to Hawkins, what we have to study a playbook <laughs> and have to write it down. And then we had to know what, okay, if, if the running backs going here, what, what type of blocking, and then and did you have to adjust to the, um, if they shift out of this, I'm, like, I'm just ready. to. And then you have to consider one thing and to, not to outdate ourselves. We weren't allowed to use our hand on offensive line. We had to block with our hands to our chest and, you had to have leverage and oh gosh, like a flipper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, that's why I, I hate to say it. I was more accustomed wanting to play defense because I wanted to use my hands. I want to put my hands on you. If I got into your chest cavity with my hands, it's a done deal. But yeah, it, he was just like all the coaches, attention to detail, total attention to detail. You, you're not going to play for Hawking, especially that time. If you weren't doing the attention, the the minor details, and and it tripled down from the head coach, which your dad was, I mean, the epitome of attention to detail to the assistant coaches. I mean, total attention to detail. Because so. you know what, Mel, as a coach, if you allow it, it's on you. It's not on the kid for executing it with the error, right? right? As the coach, right. if I tell you how to do it, and you're not doing it that way and you're making a mistake or there's a flaw in your technique and I allow that, that's on me. That's not on you, the player. Right. But it it was just so much of a making sure everything was done, like OJ said, crisp. And and it it was one of those things you strive for perfection. You may not get perfection, but you strove for it every single practice, every single day. He said, get better, get worse, mm-hmm. get better, get worse. So if an offensive lineman didn't have their uh, plays updated in the playbook, was coach Davis sending you to the Hawk and back, or was that a, oh, five, per, a 5%? What was that? It is a 5%. It is a 5%. <laughs> you never oh, knew man. with coach Davis, if he was going to send you to the Hawk or if he was going to give you a 5% at the end of the session. He gave us a 5%. And <laughs> ease. Did you ever and have it, to do uh, to? A trip to the hawk? No, I did one. My first full <laughs> goal practice. Because like I said, I was like, uh, we got to do what? 
No, I don't have to do that. I don't worry about that. I, I did half. I did half of it. I did all of it. So it the hawk, half. yeah, the hawk is half. not the hawk is not currently there anymore. But it was a wooden wall that basically the soccer team used. Apparently, when you didn't have a buddy to play pass with, so you'd kick it off a wall and it would return to you. Well, it had a hawk painted on it, and it was the better part of almost a Sherman Road. And it and felt if like he, it was long yeah. way away. And you just, oh gosh. Yeah, and you didn't get it for just anything. Um, but if you got sent to the hawk, that was a uh that was a miserable little jog down and back and kind of set you straight. And you you did not want to stop either. Because <laughs> if you stop, you may have to do it again. I didn't know not doing that again. But after that first time, yeah, I, I made sure. Every time he gave us assignment, every time, yeah, it got done. So, Mel, let's transition to uh, some of the game memories here. Um, let's start with some of your uh, your two underclass years, your sophomore and junior year, 85-86 season. Um, as has been mentioned, the 85 season was a 10-0 season in which we did not qualify. And your junior season, the 86 season, was a 12-1 campaign. Uh, where we ultimately had our season ended in the final four uh, to right. Castalia Margareta. What, uh, whether it's sophomore, junior, working your way through, what are some of those games, some of those moments, memories that you want to share with us? Okay, sophomore year, I was able to be a starter on defensive line, major contributor, and it was eye-opening experience because, like I said, going from being ninth grader because like you you have to remember ninth grade was not considered part of high school in most schools so i'm playing against a lot more grown people and like i said you're playing against guys that are your size all throughout the line or or have better technique than you do and to be able to play that it was eye-opening experience because I had to learn technique. I had to learn. I had to learn certain things that you don't learn in junior high, or you or you didn't get experience. I mean, for example, there's times I would blast through the hole on defensive line, and I go like three yards in. Next thing I know, I turn around and running backs running behind my back, thinking, "What's going on?" And then I had to learn. Okay, you got to get that one one yard in. Put your head on the swivel. Look, look for the lot for the running back to come your way. Or if you're coming in too early, that means there's a trap guy coming in to trap you to the side. So you got to learn. Okay, that's if that what that means. That means I got to slide down to stop that trap guy. So the the trapping guard pulling guard doesn't push you out of the hole. So you can cause a plug in and you have yourself a tackle or something to that effect. So that's sophomore year. I mean. I showed promise. We all did as sophomores, and it helped contribute to that undefeated season. And it was something I was looking forward to my junior year. I was really stoked at what we had coming back, even though I thought the talent we had on that sophomore year team should have gone to the playoffs. There's no way that we wouldn't have gone far. I mean, wouldn't that have been great to see, Mel, if that uh, 85 I mean, team could have made it? A B running, the, I mean, throwing the ball. The, and the thing is, like I said, we we were doing the run and shoot. You got slush on one side as a slot. You got 
You got Mike Noonan. You got O on one side of the receiver. I'm trying to think. Lee Kaplan is the other receiver. And offensive line was blocking all the time. And I don't care what anybody said. Our defense, our defense, you weren't, you weren't going to go up against our defense and win. I mean, I, I would have loved to see that. I, I, I really think, and we were so much on a momentum swing that I think we would have made a major run that sophomore year. I really do that. But unfortunately, and like I said, that's one of the things I talked about in the book. Um, and you said, and people have said, this computer point system is, to me is just for the birds. I just can't. I don't get it. I get it, but I don't like it. I don't think it serves schools like Hawking well. I really don't. I, I think it somewhat penalizes them. Well, I but, think specific to the 85 team, like we're talking, but think about just across the state, 85 and earlier, how many quality teams did not make the postseason that could have made a run and run the table and brought home the trophy. Exactly. But I, because there were only two teams in that region, you're, you're taking out the other 20 some th- teams. Well, I, our year, that sophomore year, we was, it moved it up to four. And even with four, we were fifth. Cause I think we just missed out to Sullivan black river. I think that was the 14 to make, make the playoffs from our region. It was four teams by my sophomore year. So, and we thought, I mean, okay, yeah, U.S. had a down year. Gilmore had a down year. And I didn't know that Richmond Heights was supposed to be this perennial power because I'm sorry, we, we beat the brakes off them our, fr- our yeah, first Yeah, not game. so much. <laughs> I mean, so like I said, and I'll say that O.J., Owen, and myself, we were kind of spoiled. Because we went from being undefeated freshman year at Warrensville, then we go to sophomore year undefeated. Like, oh, high school football is like this? Hey, it's going to be easy. And a little did we know that even though we went undefeated, doesn't mean a thing unless you get those quality wins, you get the second level points. I remember when your dad tried to explain it to us. It's like listening to analytical math. And it's like, what do you mean you get second level points for this? And your team has to do this, and then the team you played has to do this. Well, if they don't win this game, hey, play it on the field. Mel, <laughs> That's all. I was like, put it on the field. Mel, there's just enough involved that no one gets it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, put us on the field, and we'll show you who's the better team. So through the 84, I believe it was the 84 season, it was two teams per region. Then in 85, right. it went to four, and then right. and then it went to eight right around 2000, 2001. And the state OHSAA just approved this past week that each region will now qualify 16 teams. So that's about 50% of each region will now um, qualify. And the first two weeks are hosted by the higher seed. Is it still a 10 game season? Correct. Oh, wow. Okay. That's new. I mean, I know last year they pretty much said everybody could get in because of COVID, which was, yeah, was nice, but wow, that's a long time coming, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Long time coming. It, it does a little bit. It doesn't maybe answer everyone's concerns, but it does right. go a little bit of ways. Um, so they're talking about that first round being the last weekend in October and the state championship will be the first weekend in December. 
Okay. So. Okay. All right. I, I saw some things about how some coaches were complaining about the playoff structure, how it was going to favor the bigger teams, but I didn't know what it was. But at least it, a lot more teams are going to get an opportunity to make that trip. And I think we are doing the service to kids if we don't give them the opportunity. I mean, everybody wants just a, a decent, legitimate opportunity to show their worth. And we never got that until we, until our junior year. We never got that. And, and, and I could go back in history of Hawking. There are teams that should have had that chance and did not get that chance. And uh, your era of Hawking football obviously has a lot of records and streaks that uh, you guys carry proudly. And one of them that kind of got, you know, taken away from you, you should have had three straight playoff appearances, which would have been the only time right. in program history. Right. So, but it is what it is. You can't change that. So it also says the state is exploring adding a strength of schedule component to the computer rankings. So who knows who's getting in on that decision, what that'll look like. Yeah. How are you going to determine strength of schedule? How are you going to determine that? It's a lot of small schools that uh, people aren't going to have an idea about. Right. And then lies what happens to Hawk, schools like Hawking, which I'll say again, just give those schools a chance. You'll see how they come out. You will see. Yeah. So other memories from uh, that sophomore going into junior year? Yes. So- sophomore to junior year. You could call that junior year you might as well call it a tale of two cities. It was the, um, because beginning of the junior, going from sophomore to junior year, things were looking up for me. It was, I was, even though it was funny because I know right out of foot, out of football, you had your winter sports and your dad was encouraging me to do wrestling and I was not a wrestler. And I understood why he wanted me to learn a little bit more fire techniques about leverage and stuff like that. Like I said, I was a basketball player. I wanted to play basketball. So that's when I went out for the basketball team. And then the rest was history with that. We ended up going under our first ever undefeated season with the basketball team and went to the regional finals and just missed going there. So, and then I did track and showed my worth there and just missed going to state then just by, like OJ said, you 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 remember the losses, you remember the defeats, and I remember just miss going to state by like three quarters of an inch in the shot put. That still stings to me to this day. But um, I was able to, going during that summer, go to the Junior Olympics in Syracuse, and I placed the, uh, I took bronze medal in both shot and discus, and I came back and I'm like, I'm ready to go. This is my junior year. People are starting to talk about us the school and what they could do they were talking about me and like i said your dad has his expectations which i understand because yes he saw me being a starter again on defensive line but you gotta work for it you gotta put in the work i was not in football shape and he wanted me to get in football shape understandable 
So we went to, I had just gotten back in time to go to a scrimmage. I forget what a scrimmage was, but he put me with the starters, but he also said, because he wanted me to get that conditioning, he put me in with the second and third stringers. I remember that one play, it was, I, I saw it was a uh, sweep. The guy was sweeping and, and I'm pursuing angle, pursuing when I got a beat on him and I, and I got him wrapped up and I'm about to take him down. And I feel on my right knee and it goes 90 degrees the other way. And and I go down in pain, and and I I had never felt that pain before in my life. I had never bro- really broken serious bone or did anything like that, and I couldn't move. I couldn't put any pressure on anything, and it was, and I I didn't know what happened. And after seeing my knee, and you just see it going the wrong way, it was first it was scary, and you thought the worst. You thought I, I didn't. It was beyond my junior year was over. My football, my whole career was over. I thought I'll never be able to play sports again. I'll never be able to do this again. What am I going to do? I mean, I was I was in deep in sorrow. I mean, to the point where if anybody called me or wanted to give, me, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was that hurt and. I don't blame anybody, but it's just like, I just could not bear the fact of not only could I not be able to play, I can't play with guys. I'm starting to have like a brotherhood with, I mean, you all, and then, like I said, it's this part of me was saying, I let these guys down that I can't contribute to something that we were looking forward to doing, making the playoffs. But um, when I found out what they were planning on doing, because I found out I had a torn meniscus dislocated kneecap and tore a couple of tendons in the knee. And like I said, and that even made me feel worse that I thought, oh, they're going to tear my knee apart and I'll never be the same. But they were talking about arthroscopic surgery, even though in Europe they've been doing it for years, it was still in infantile stages in the United States. And the doctor reassured me that all we're going to do is put three holes in your leg, we'll be able to take care of you. So... That made me feel a little bit better. And um, I remember right after the surgery season started and I was feeling a little bit better, but what really encouraged me and made me say that there's no way I cannot get back with my, my guys, that first game against Sugar and Falls. And I saw on the television, uh, the highlights, and I saw what O did to Chagrin Falls because I remember Chagrin Falls talking cash money about how they're going, what they're going to do to Hawking. And when O put up video game numbers on them and beat the brakes off of them, I remember yelling to my mom, look what O did to Chagrin Falls, mom. And I was like, I told my mom, I was like, as soon as I get the green light to start taking rehab, I'm there. You, you're not going to stop me from going to rehab. I, I'll go rehab 24-7. That's how I felt. And even though, and it's true, some of the biggest pain you will feel is going through rehab. Rehab is nothing to take lightly because they're going to bend your joints in a way after surgery to get it accustomed to being as close to normal as possible. It was very painful. 
it was so much pain. But I, I said I would go through that pain just so I could get back to the guys. And the second half of my junior year, I mean, you, your dad slowly got me back into transition where I started playing and started getting back into the game flow and allowed me to, like, towards the end of the season, I was back to not 100%, but close to 100% playing defense in line. And I was ready. I was ready. And in the game against Brooklyn made me say I was really ready. <laughs> I, I I was so happy to get back. And the guys, like I said, that brotherhood, everybody embraced me back. And the rest is history on that one. I, I loved it. Let's let's uh, let's take a little bit closer look at that Brooklyn game because I think there was a play in there that uh, was a first. Was, there was <laughs> yes. a there was a first time play for you there because uh, as a uh, defensive lineman who the spotlight plays are the tackles for loss, the sacks, the strip, you know, fumbles and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you got to find yourself uh, in the end zone, which not a lot of D linemen get. So walk us through that play. And it's amazing because, remember, we claimed the field, and I do 75, seven yards in, five to the right. So, I mean, just like we, you start getting, like, to one of those traditions, you start getting this superstitious. You want to be able to do everything to a certain way. And it was another pitch, and the guy missed the pitch, and you saw the quarterback, and he's holding it out to the side. And I, I said to the newspaper, he's holding it like a loaf of bread, and I did a strip sack. One of the techniques from Coach Wally, if you get close enough, try to slap the ball out of his hand. I did. I saw it on the ground, and I hit that ground so hard with the ball, I probably thought I was going to knock an air out of it. It was – and I I overjoyed, overjoyed to be able to make a strip sack and a, and a touchdown all in the same uh, – after could you, that, you, could could you keep the emotions in check or did you get up like you'd been there before or <laughs> I didn't I, I could I tried to be act like I'd been there before, but no, I, I let a little emotion out. But but the swagger in me let a little emotion out, but and and your dad congratulated me on it and he said toned it down a little bit. But uh, yeah, I was so excited. So excited to be able Heck to yeah, do that's that. a that's an awesome uh, feat right there. Hey, that that hey, that's like you said, defense alignment's dream. Defense alignment's dream. So I I don't I think the only better thing is to maybe take an intercept, tip a ball, intercept it, and run it back for a touchdown. But just to get a touchdown, nothing like it. So that was that was week 10 of the 86 season, your junior year, that Brooklyn right. game. And so we're qualified for the playoffs. Hawkins' first visit to the postseason. Uh, we are stepping into fresh, uh, a fresh season, one that we have not been a part of, but one that we know we belong, one that we know is long overdue. And we get Grand Valley in our first uh opening weekend of this second season talk about what that was like to get ready for the postseason for the first time with your team first of all to get the call from coach brand to i mean mr brand to tell us that we're in the playoffs i was like oh wow okay yes and then next thing i know i'm talking marcus and owen and will and oh we're like what are we gonna do how are we gonna do this yeah we're in the playoffs we're about to do this and that and the third and i'm trying to remember that Anytime I played Grand Valley, I took it personally. 
because I thought, like I said, I'm I'm biggest dude. I thought I was one of the best here and there. It, that's the mindset I had. Because I remember my sophomore year, we played Grand Valley, and all they were talking about was this guy by the name of Mick Show, who was supposed to be going to Ohio State offensive lineman. Big dude. And and I I tried, I took a personal challenge against him. I'm like, I don't care what it is you do, I don't care what you try to do, you're not going to win this battle. I'm going to beat you on every play. And that's one of the things that people don't know about in the trenches. You, you hear a lot of talk. You hear a lot of jabbing and certain things that you might get in trouble for in the trenches you do, but you don't see all the time. And we went at it and I held my, I, I made sure I wasn't going to hold my own. No, I'm going to beat you down. And that's the way I took that. I took it as a personal personal challenge every time I played Grand Valley. I'm going to beat you down to the point where no matter what you do, I'm going to free up whatever the linebacker we have to make the tackle and you're going to lose. And I took that personally and we took it to Grand Valley and that left us getting ready for our regional final game. So you're talking about that sophomore year matchup against Grand Valley, 35-7, we're victorious. Right. And, and your junior year in that first round of the playoffs, we are victorious 28-8. to um, The motivation of going up against someone who's getting all the talk and who's getting all the smoke, and you're you're saying, I'm, I'm right there with you, and then I'm going to pass you. And for that to motivate and to drive you is just – I love seeing that in athletes because we need more players like that. I, I, I put it like this and you could talk to anybody worth their salt as a athlete. If you don't have a challenge or kill list, what are you doing out there? Yeah. I had, I had a challenge or kill list for anybody who I played football with, who, who, who was supposedly at, as good or better than me in football and shot disc, whatever. I mean, if you don't have some type of challenge against somebody, you're not out here playing for sport for real. I mean, you got to have something, a chip on your shoulder to a certain extent. And we did. Hawking, we did because they kept on telling us, well, we're, we're a small school. Small schools don't fare that well. Okay. Yeah. Bring on those people and we show you how small we really are. And like I said, and I know that with the help of me and my brothers that, we brought that swagger, that attitude and bravado that permit started to permeate the rest of the team, even though the tradition was there of excellence. Yeah. Come on, talk to me. Bring, bring, bring it out. We ready for all the smoke. We ready for that. Bring it. And we show you what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that about Yeah. Getting fired up hearing you talk like that. That's all. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Let's, let's go. Hey, <laughs> so, uh, the second week of the postseason, we have oh, a Wyndham team, and uh, as we as we get to game day, it is a uh, it is a cold, frigid evening, yes. and uh, one that might have had a little bit of influence as far as the offense that was able to execute, probably for both teams, but definitely you know for us. But uh, this was a hard fought eight six victory uh, for the Hawks. 
it was bitter, bitter cold. Oh my gosh. And you were talking, I remember you talking with O about the gloves that they use, the free gloves and stuff. You know what was the crazier thing about that whole game? I remember guys were borrowing their mom's pantyhose as holes to try to keep their legs warm. I'm like, what are these guys doing putting pantyhose? Mel, yes. no, no names, but was one of them Marcus? I don't remember. I don't think it was Marcus. Because I know Marcus doesn't like the elements. No, he didn't. But I, it, it was crazy. I'm watching these guys put on pantyhose like they, they were putting on compression stuff. I'm like, try to keep warm. And it's like, are you serious? No. I mean, and then a couple of them had runs in the stockings. And we were, and, and that's what ended up being oh, one on. of the orangutans. It had to be one of the orangutans because I'm talking about how you had runs in your stockings. It's crazy. <laughs> and and we and we won the game. And usually we spend a lot more time on the field to enjoy the win, but it was too cold for that. I mean, I remember there was guys trying to stay warm so bad that they were put they had this heater that was the size of a rocket. I mean, like a jet. Yeah, jet stream, and there was guys who were putting their feet towards the um, heater, and they were melting their cleats on it. It was that crazy. I mean, it was bitter cold. I remember those jackets that they had to give to the people to try to save off the uh, wind. It didn't do any good. Yeah, those parkas were not working. It was not working at all, and I feel for the referees because I'm almost pretty sure – that somebody used a referee that was metal and they probably had the, the whistles stuck in their lips. Yeah, the Christmas bitter. story or something. <laughs> it was bitter cold. It was so cold. I, it almost made me dread wanting to make a tackle because you hit that ground. It's like, ugh, no. But just for the fact that we could relish the fact that not only did we make the playoffs for the first time, we brought a regional championship just hockey. That's we right. That was that was like, oh wow! I mean, this is uncharted territory. We're like, we got, we got a trophy. We got something to say. Hey, we're champions. That's, that's right. That, that and that the, the first team to do it. That's something you can't, you can't minimize. You have to say, this is this is something special. Yeah, qualifying is great, but then when you now you're headed into week three of this postseason, right? It just it's vindication for what you've known, what everyone in that brotherhood, in that huddle, in that field house, what they've known. And now more of the exterior, the outside is starting to to get it. Right. And it was so special to be able to share with your brothers. I mean, it, I mean, just, just to see the look on our faces. I mean, see, see when we got back and you talking to, we're the group of us are talking together and talking about how it just, feel so surreal and then to look at that trophy and see the smile on your dad's face and like the sense of accomplishment that he felt even though like I said your father's one of the most even cute people I know he treats I forget the name of the poem but he treats triumph and disaster as the same but just to see that little smile on his face it meant a lot to us to be able to put that on his face because your your father just he's the epitome of keeping everything in the proper perspective and it was it was nice to see him smile i mean just smile at that point that smile might have been the closest you ever got him to uh taking a whiff of that perfume exactly because he perfume was not him not at all oh gosh no no 
not at all. So after getting that trophy for the uh, regional championship, we go to the state final four down at Berea, Baldwin, Wallace, uh, Finney Stadium, and uh, we have a matchup against Castalia Margareta out west from Cleveland and uh, kind of close to the uh, Sandusky area. Right. And uh, we have a a really close, hard-fought game in which um, we come out on the short end and we are losers by way of an 8-10 to 10 loss to Margareta. It was, it was frustrating because we had put so much into it. Um, and I know I hear OJ talking about that. It's his fault because he missed. No, I don't. We, he was the stir the straw to drink. Stirred, he was the straw to stir the drink. There's no way he can take that loss. I know he does take it on opponent. There's no way he could take that loss. Mel, isn't it interesting how after all of these years of not just playing sports and being in them, but also as a fan and watching them that people still associate the final play with being the only play that decided the game. You can't, I mean, coach Jerry Fowles, he used to tell us during practices and stuff. He's like, one play does not determine a game. You have six plays on each side that could determine a game. That one play was not it. I mean, I, I can't remember all the opportunities we had to be able to go up on Margareta, but for OJ to, okay, yeah, we used to play around before practices. Sometimes I had field goal kicking contests and he showed that he could kick a field goal further than anybody else. Okay, whoop-de-doo. That does not mean that he is going to be equate to that. It's going to be his fault that he missed the field goal when he when he's, like I said, He's running the ball. He's pe- he's catching the ball. He's passing the ball. He's defense. He's selling popcorn. He's up here giving <laughs> out giving out uh, flyers to the to the fans. And you're going to blame him for missing a, a field goal? No, not having it. Not having it. No. Nope. So the stinging loss of that deep playoff run coming to an end. Uh, you, you had mentioned at the beginning of our talk here that, you know, those losses really stick with you and yes. this being the first one of your Hawk and varsity career so far in two years. And so having the season end with that loss, but knowing that you have that final senior season to come back to uh, talk about how that was a driving force and a motivator for you and the rest of the team. Total new motivation. Not only did we, were we motivated that we wanted to come back and we wanted to, I mean, we knocked on the door. Because you we get greedy, up. right? You get greedy with that taste of postseason. It's, it's like, not just I, want, I want more of it. I like it. It's not, it's not just greedy. It's a desire. It's, I mean, it's a thirst. You <laughs> thirst for it. Sure. And, and you're motivated. And not only that, now people are starting to hear about us. People are starting to mention Hawking when you're talking about a football program. I mean, a football power. They're not just talking about OJ. They're talking about Marcus T. They're talking about uh, Owen Benjamin. They're talking about me. They're talking about Andy Payne, Dave Hinkle. I mean, you're talking about us not just being a school of academics. We're a football program. And people who have have that bullseye on us, they're like, oh, we're going to try to prove them how not a football program they are. They're just a bunch of uh, 
academic guys who do, are posing as football players. Okay, yeah. Step on, strap up and see how much we're posing. Strap up because we'll show you how much we had. And the thing is, we had talent, but we had intelligence, we had structure, and we're disciplined. We were so disciplined. We we did not kill ourselves in any game we played. I mean, we may have, if we were going to lose, lose, you were going to be better than us. You weren't going to, out, number one, not work us. Your dad worked us to the point the way, like I said, I can tell you right now, we'll talk about it later. For a quarter, you knew for a quarter when he was doing the end in the practice was going to benefit you. For a quarter benefited me. But you were not going to outwork us. You were not going to outthink us. Your dad is the best second half adjustment man I've, I've seen. And I'll say not just high school, I've seen some college coaches that he he can show a thing or two as well as an adjustment from the first half to the second half. So you weren't going to beat us. And we weren't going to beat ourselves by doing stupid stuff. It was just that you were going to be, have to be that much better than us. And not only that, I mean, to be able to go to the shoe, the, the shoe. That's what, that's what our slogan was, the shoe, getting to the shoe. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. And I remember talking to, I mean, talking to Marcus and OJ because we spent so much time together. And I mean, that was our driving motivation. I mean, we did, like I tell people in the book, when you saw one of us, you saw all of us. We were inseparable and we wanted to be together on every aspect and we were ever together. And especially when it started getting mentioned in newspaper, radio, and television, man, it was just like the spotlight was on us and we had to shine, but we were ready for it. We were ready for that. We wanted that. We wanted to show everybody what's going on at Gates Mills. We wanted to show them it's not just a school of intellects. Yes, it is a school of intellects, but there's more to it than that. And we're going to show you. The best schools have both, right? The best schools are academically outstanding and have outstanding athletic programs and extracurriculars as well. Exactly. And there's no reason why we couldn't do both. And we were doing both. We were. So that senior campaign starts off with that week one showdown. I'll call it a showdown because that's the way Chagrin was looking at it. A showdown with the Chagrin Falls I'll call them Tigers. I know you got a different little nickname for them. <laughs> no, I won't use that. Yeah, okay. But uh, that uh, that game was drawing a lot of area attention leading up to week one. It was the spotlight game for, uh, for the area. And uh, it was a game in which we defeated Chagrin Falls 32-18. to 18. Memories from week one of that senior season. Well, number one, uh, and like I put in the book, okay, Back then, you had the game of the week on WBIZ 25. First game. Yeah. Week one. Who was it? Was it Maslin? Was it McKinley? Was it Ignatius? It says a lot, doesn't it? So, hey, who was it? it was the Hawks. Up the, gate. 
those guys up against Mills, yeah. the Hawk and Hawks, and they're playing against Chagrin Falls. And Chagrin Falls talk cash money. And I remember them talking about Scott Thomas is a comparable running back <laughs> to OJ McDuffie. I laughed. I was like, really? Okay, yeah, we got you. And my memories of that, every time he tried to come through the hole, I tried to put him on his back and try to I tried to split him in half a couple of times because I you know you are not better than my brother and my brother's about to show you what he can do. And we did. And it wasn't it wasn't even even though the score was only 32 to 18, we beat that school on their home turf week one. And it was so much pomp and circumstance because they thought they were going to show us how much they were better than us in football. And we beat the brakes off of them. And that was that was just a just a glimpse of what we planned on doing for that whole year. And we're going to get to week two against Perry here in a second. But those first two opponents of Chagrin and Perry were relative newcomers to the schedule. And my dad has talked about how there was a little bit of sort of anxiousness or anxiety from some of the parents thinking, are we ready for this? So these schools going to be a little too big for us and. I think everyone within the uh, within the construct of the team knew that we were ready for this. It was the people on the periphery that were wondering if we were biting off more than we could chew. And and I, I bet you could ask your dad. We OJ Owen, Marcus, and myself, and a few others. We wanted that challenge, and I know for a fact that. And people forget. Those first few games, we were road warriors. We didn't have a home game till like, I want to almost say four or five. So I think it was week we, four, yeah. Yeah, we not only were we playing some bigger, quote unquote, bigger teams, we were playing away. So we were making a lot of people upset on their own home turf. We're claiming their field, and we beating them down. So that sh- should tell you right then and there: do not take us lightly. We are a serious football team. To go to your place, take take everything away from you, and leave you nothing with, with remnants of what you could have had. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? But sit there and suck up and just realize that you got beat down by the Hawks. Week two, another road game against Perry, uh, forty to fourteen to run our record two and zero. Uh, like I said, I, I remember listening to that podcast about Perry getting McDuffied. <laughs> it was, I can't believe that somebody actually from Perry thought that they beat us. I'm like, no, no, Perry never came close to beating us. I'm, except for one or two games during the season, and we we'll talk about that one game. Well, if you. Except for one or two games during the season, I don't remember us playing into the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, we were up here letting the sophomores and at one point in time the freshmen play. So for hit for that guy to say that oh that he beat us during his three year time, that's crazy. That's crazy. I'd ask for that ten thousand dollars. Making like no, it, give me my ten G, man, because there was no way that uh, Perry beat us. And like I said, and unlike few people, I got to document and prove that that I had to do in my book. Otherwise, I'd be 
two for libel. <laughs> so yeah, forty fourteen. Perry took an L. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully that guy from Perry at some point stumbles upon these pods and he can hear it and know exactly <laughs> we're talking about. I, I would like to see what proof he had to give the O that they beat us. I, I want to see this one. <laughs> I'd like to hear how the rest of his season went because apparently it went really well. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, week three, really taking a trip down to the river and uh, going playing Wellsville twenty-eight to six victory oh for the Hawks three zero. Yes, and that was the first half was like playing in a swamp because it rained all first half. I mean, we were slipping and sliding in mud and just it was horrible that long drive just to get there it was crazy to me but um the biggest thing I remember about that game was when O got that interception deep into the end zone and he brought it out and I'm looking and I'm trying to find somebody to block I end up blocking not just one guy but I did a domino block which sprung O for a touchdown that I still think is a state record for a 108-yard interception return. Yeah, because it, it was it was great because you could see it. I'm like, I hit the one guy, and the other guy just goes and came out of nowhere and thought, oh, I'm getting hit by my own man. And it was crazy. But, yeah, that was, that was special. That was special. Long drive back up north to Gates Mills with Tangs on a Friday night. <laughs> I, hey, that – one of the things I, I, I had as a personal tradition for myself after I start getting into the tanks, I had to make sure – what here's what my thing. I didn't start them going off the rail, but if you took me there, <laughs> I'm going. You could I'm be going. influenced. <laughs> I'm going. And, yeah, I was one of the – like I said, I was a poet. I had, I had to have my rhymes ready. I had to be ready. And some people came at me, and when your, co- your dad said – you got to stop them. I'm like, okay, I got something for you next week. And I'm like, I'm going down to the river. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and ready to, I'm ready. I'm ready. And, yeah, Marcus was the one who started. Ice was the one who get it started. And come on, I got you. I got one for you. And then you you look and see that he stands up. No. I'm like, all right, Coach, my bad. I'm sorry. I think Marcus <laughs> thought that big smile of his was going to buy him a little grace and everyone was going <laughs> to look the no, other way. No. <laughs> and see, the like we were talking about orangutans, yeah, they could get – I'll admit, yeah, we got kind of raw. They're, they're, nowadays, when I think about it, I ooh, wouldn't do that now. <laughs> You knew they weren't good when the voices got a lot quieter to a whisper in the back because they still wanted people to hear, but they didn't want everyone to hear. Right, right. And that's one of the traditions I cherish. And the way I got acclimated to orangutans was my sophomore year. And who showed you who showed you the ropes? Who was it? You know, it was the Newberry game and they were doing orangutans. And next thing I know. Scott Hackenberg would at me with one. I'm like, and everybody looking at me. What did Hack like, say? I forget what it was. I but he said something, and and normally the sophomores I know they're supposed to be quiet and docile, but that wasn't me. So I and then you have Marcus egging you on, and I'm like, and I'm thinking in my mind, we're down to the river. Yeah, yeah. I gotta come up with something good. Come up with something good. 
And you know the, the sophomores that it's hard to even get it in. So they they're giving me on blast. And finally I was able to get it out. And at first there was a pause and I thought, oh, they're gonna kill me. But it was so epic and so crazy that I went at, at Hackenberg like you heard, oh oh my gosh. And this Hackenberg looked at me with surprise, like he really retaliated at me. So we went at went back and forth for a couple of times and ranking tanks, and then that's when your dad did his stereotypical, all right. Keep it clean. Like, all right, sorry, coach. But that helped create a bond between me and Hack that I I, I appreciate and cherish a lot. But, but yeah, you're not going to come at me and I'm not going to retaliate. No. We're going to have no. to see if we can get Scott Hackenberg here to uh, respond to the pod and hey, uh, talk about hey. that 85 season, 39 to 12 victory on the road right. against Newberry. And if he remembers his, uh, his tang that he sent your way. That's fire. I don't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, he, I like, I, I didn't understand it at the time. But yeah, that long trip from Wellsville, yeah, I know the retains. And we didn't sleep on that bus, but yeah, we they were going for a while too. Yeah. So week four now, finally, like you had mentioned, we're returning home and playing on that Saturday afternoon um, at Gates Mills. Uh, before we get into that Cowga Heights game. Talk about how special it was to play those Saturday afternoon games at home. It was revelation. It was nice to be able to sit down with guys at breakfast and just have that camaraderie, go to a house and just feel comfortable. It, it's one of those traditions that I truly miss. I mean, it, it was nice. It was it was serene. It was. It was nice. It was just almost nostalgic. You know, you know what I'm saying. You're at a nice house. You have a nice, decent breakfast. You you, you get with you guys. You spend the time with you guys. Um, being able to just bond. It's it's a place to bond. It's not just a cafeteria. You sit there. You then you go get ready for the it's a place to be able to just sit back and relax for a little bit before you go to the school and get ready to take on a comp- competition. But I will say one thing that was funny from the other podcast, we were talking about doing some dumb stuff when we were younger, like the races to the to school building. <laughs> oh, it's right. I had one of those cars. I mean, like <laughs> I told you, man, I mean, you, you can only go put it in perspective. 3D, you you going against cars that were Mercedes Benzes, uh, um, BMWs, right. and stuff like that. My mom and dad, his mom and Owen and, and mom and dad, they pulled their money together to get us a 1984 Pontiac Phoenix that had a, a it was slow. I mean, it was yellow on top, black on the bottom. Uh, it the the ceiling of it had a little bit of a dip in it. The radio worked half the time. The seat only the main the front seat moved up back and forth. There was no each seat moving. And like I told him, I swear to goodness, I, I wouldn't put it past my father if he told the mechanic to put a governor on that thing because it barely <laughs> made it to fifty five miles an hour. And I'm flooring it. I mean, he's up here yelling at me, talking about man, we gotta get there, we gotta get there. There was no way we were going to beat anybody to that school with that car. I mean, I loved it because it, it was us. 
I mean, my sister nicknamed it the Bumblebee. That's how, because I had to take Nolly uh, us to school. But before I um, before I came to Hawking, I had to drop off my sister and her girlfriend, Regina. So it was like, that was our car. I mean, we became known as, my sister called us the Bumblebee crew because, because of that car. But that car was not going to beat anybody. We had to get at least a 10-minute start before we could beat anybody. And like you said, we had to run every light. That wasn't happening. <laughs> that wasn't happening. So week four was that first Saturday contest. Cuyahoga Heights comes to our field and the Hawks are victorious 20 to zero. And we run our season record to four and oh. Cuyahoga Heights was a new team. I, I was not familiar with them and they, they were trying to challenge us because they thought, like I said, almost all the teams that, we picked up if they didn't know us they wanted they heard about us and they wanted to knock us off like I said we were up for the challenge and even though our offense didn't score as much as we were normally doing you you weren't ready for us you weren't ready for our speed you weren't ready for our intelligence you weren't ready to take on four quarters of the hogs that uh, that's about a line next week a uh, a tough Medina Buckeye team, one that uh, the Hawks come up victorious with back-to-back shutouts this time by way of 26-0. That one was odd because it was a Thursday game because I, I think it was what Jewish holiday was coming up and we had to play it on Thursday. So that was odd. So that we had a sh- – it was like being in the NFL having a short week where we were playing that game, but it, it didn't matter. I mean – we were prepared. We were we were up for the challenge, and we had played. But I remember we played Buckeye that um, junior year, and I had was familiar with them because it was in Medina, and I remember that that game because we had to sit in the um, in the locker room for an extra hour because it was a thunderstorm delay. So it to me it didn't matter that we were playing Buckeye on a Thursday. They were they were coming to our house, and they were going to go home with an L, and that's what they did. So, but they 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 were they were a nice competition. But like I said, it wasn't that I disrespected any of the teams I played against or that we played against. I just felt so confident in what we were doing and what coach was doing. We weren't going to be beat unless literally you were that much better than us. And I'm sorry, I really didn't see anybody who was that much better than us. And you, you're you not going to have us beat ourselves. You were not. Coach, your dad was going to allow us to be our, beat ourselves. He just stopped that real quick. I mean, I don't know how many times it was rare, but if we had a poor practice, he let us know that the practice wasn't Get better, get worse. Very rarely did we have a poor practice that he was not satisfied of what the execution is. We executed on time, every time. I could probably count on one hand how many times we had a poor practice where we didn't execute like we should have. It wasn't just in the it wasn't in the periphery to think of a poor practice. It wasn't even thought of. 
Following week, Hawks run their record to 6-0 by way of a 40-7 victory over Zanesville Rosecrans. That was a one-off opponent for us. Yeah, that game I had, I think I had slightly injured early that uh, that week. So I played half the game, but like I said, most of the guys played half the game. And we start getting the sophomores in, getting them some some PT, some burn in. And like I said, it was one of those newer teams in Zanesville. I mean, I I found out just from this history that Zanesville was first capital in Ohio. So okay, whatever. You're coming up, you're coming up to meet the Hawks. And Rosecran is, I think, was it was it a private or Catholic school? That's okay. You're still coming up to Gates Mills, and it was going to be pretty for you. I, like I said, no disrespect to their talent. I just felt like nobody's going to beat us, and it showed. It showed. Yeah, exactly. So 6-0 and at this point, and we got a three-week stretch coming up of all of the area private schools. And so now we're uh, – now we're venturing away from these teams that maybe we've only played once or maybe twice total because as an independent team, uh, Tom Bryan, the athletic director and my dad were just trying to see who was willing to jump on the schedule some years. And so it it did mean we had to travel uh, more often, but now with the, the private schools coming up and getting that taste of that um, rivalry context, and that first game uh, of the three was against University School, and that was uh, just a sweet, sweet 39-0 victory. Uh, OJ talked about friends from Warrensville that we grew up with and end up going to uh, that school over in Hunting Valley. I don't even get – I don't even get – no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat them with a little bit of respect. Um <laughs> But yeah, we talk. I still talk cash money to that Smith. How we beat them in everything that I mean, we beat them in basketball. They they didn't get a win in football. We beat the breaks off them in football. And I took a personal vendetta when I was throwing a shot and this. Okay, who's going for second place? Because you're not going to beat me. And that get that week. Here's how here's how sweet it was for me. That would that university game. My birthday was on that game, on that day. All right. And and I forget what it's called, but every day we used to go down into the, you had that in the school where you had that little meeting place and you got down there and you have your. Um, Talking about school meeting in the yes. auditorium? Yeah. Yes, in the auditorium. Well, one one day that week, and this shows not only how much of a, poet, hip-hop junkie I was. This showed also the brotherhood between me and the seniors. Because that day, I decided I was going to do a rap and talk about how we were going to beat U.S. And I had myself, O, Will, Marcus, and then Dave Hinkle, Andy Pay. How would you like seeing Andy Pay at a B-boy stand standing behind <laughs> me like this while I'm doing a rap? I got Rod Rezai, I, all of the seniors, they just standing there. Zoller and I'm just I'm 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 kicking around, talking about it's my birthday. I'm gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna beat us, and everybody's loving it. And I could see the look on your father's face because I thought he 
thought I was going to come out with an orangutan that's just going to make him cringe. I was like, no, I, I kept it clear, and it, but it was enjoyable. And like I said, that week was special, not only for my birthday, but we could say forever. I never lost to U.S. I never lost to them. And my last impression was we beat the brakes off them. They 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 couldn't come up for air. 39 nothing couldn't come up for air. There, there was no stopping us. And that really put us in the spotlight. That game really put us in the spotlight because, I mean, newspapers were coming from everywhere. TV was coming from everywhere. I mean, it was talking about a radio, television. The Hawks, I mean, we were front, I mean, almost literally front page news right then and there because of what we did. That was crazy. That was crazy, but we wanted that. We wanted that because we felt like we deserved it. We did, We were ready for that. I mean, like I said, your dad is not for perfume, but even with the perfume, we were up for that challenge. We were always up for that challenge. We never looked at our clippings and made it more than what it was. We enjoyed it, but we never made it more than what it was. We still knew we had a job to do and we still worked to perfection. We still each day got better because we knew we couldn't get worse. And we held each other accountable. I mean, there were times that, like I said, if I if I didn't do something right or oh didn't do something right, one of the other guys, hey, that wasn't right, man. You gotta get you gotta get your act together. And that's a big thing about the brotherhood we had is that we could still hold each other accountable, not get mad and not take it personal. Yeah, get better, get better. So that was great. 